This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak, and we profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. And if you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5x5.tv slash Founders Talk. And if you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk as well as me, Adam Stack. I want to thank today's sponsors, Less Accounting and Flow from MetaLab. Less Accounting was built for people that hate bookkeeping and accounting software. Less Accounting automates many tasks you'd normally be doing manually, which saves you stress and saves you less gray hair. So in reality, Less Accounting will not only help you with your bookkeeping needs, you'll also save your hairline. And that's kind of cool. Give Less Accounting a try today at lessaccounting.com. And by Flow. When the world's top teams want to get something done, they turn to Flow from MetaLab. Flow lets you create, organize, discuss, and accomplish tasks with anyone, anytime, from anywhere. Flow's critically acclaimed web, desktop, and mobile clients have revolutionized the way teams are getting things done. Get started today with a free 14-day trial at GetFlow.com. And today's guest is Kyle Bragger, the founder of Forest. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm joined by Kyle Bragger. He is the founder of Forest. I'm sure that uh, if you listen to this podcast, you've heard of uh, Dan Cederholm and his thing, and Forrest is in a similar vein, and I won't uh, steal your thunder, Kyle, by introducing you like uh, like that exactly, but I think it's kind of cool that y'all are in the same vein, and y'all have both been on this podcast. So thanks for um, joining me on this on this podcast, so please say hello. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh I'm I'm happy to be here. And is that actually a bad way to introduce you to the podcast by mentioning at the same time dribble? No, I don't think so. No. No. I mean, I I think um I think it's a perfectly fine way. Uh, you know, I think we're both going after the same kind of objective, which is you know, making our industry a bit brighter. And I think they're doing an awesome job, and we're hopefully doing an awesome job. You know, well, I'm a user of Forest, and I love it. So let's let's not uh, start exactly there. Let's let's do a better introduction of of I guess who you are, and and you're more than Forest. You're you've been at the Huffington Post. You've done a ton of fun stuff. You've had a number of side projects. You've been involved community. So Forest isn't the thing that defines you. It's it's what uh, is on your focus right now, but. Tell us about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Um, wow. Uh, yeah. So I guess I do, I do a few, a few things. Um, I, I have started describing myself more as a product person versus engineer since I've, especially in the last, you know, with forests have been much more product focused than just writing code day to day, which is a bit of a departure, um, for me, but something I'm actually really kind of fond of but i've been yeah like you said at huffington post um did a thing with gary vaynerchuk actually the the, the dan cederholm connection and dan benjamin uh corked which was a few years back when when gary acquired it i was over there for a bit um i've launched i like to call them experiments but side projects uh probably a prolific amount uh, probably drew wilson comes to mind as someone who's probably 10 times more prolific but you know, I like to think we're moderately on pace there, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just me. I, I like, uh, I like building great products and hopefully solving somebody's problem and try to try to go at it from a, a perspective of 
crafting, you know, crafting something great. I love crafting something great. It's uh, it's definitely a labor of love. That's that's for sure. And you could tell by the look of Forest and the way the community has reacted to you and what you guys have been doing there, and even you know your side projects. What did you call them? You said experiments. Yeah, experiments. And yeah, a lot of. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, why do you call them experiments? Just curious. Besides, just saying side projects. Um, I think you know. I think the thing is, every one of the you know side projects, experiments, whatever, they they try to answer some kind of fundamental question I have about something. So, like, there was this really hilarious thing that I built in 24 hours, which got a little Hacker News love because I kind of wrote about the process called Facto. Um, this was last January, I think, and in the first like day, it did a quarter million uniques or something like that. Wow! And that was really just, you know, I should I should preface with there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion around like people who do projects calling them startups and vice versa. So I think like for me, there's never really any serious intent. Like I don't I didn't think Facto could be a huge business. It was very much an experiment around like viral, you know, viral stuff and building a viral loop that worked, and and it did certainly. It used uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, it was basically like this, this uh, kind of list of facts about yourself um, that you could build and then share with friends, and it had this really simple sharing mechanic that ended up making it go nuts the first couple of weeks. Died off after that because I was satisfied and you know didn't put any more time into it. But um, yeah, so everything everything that I build on the side tends to have some kind of question that I'm trying to answer for myself. Tiny Proj, which was this email newsletter for short-term projects for developers and designers, uh, I built back in September was sort of answering the question of is this does this model work and is this something that's interesting? Cause it was very, very niche, like very focused on projects you could probably do in a weekend. You could still be employed somewhere full time. Um, and it did, it worked, which was cool. Um, but you know, there's just as many things that have just been complete flops. Um, but either way I try to have fun. I try to challenge myself to think about something in a new way or use a new programming language or technique or whatever. So they're, they're, they're almost more about my own growth as a as an engineer and product person as they are about you know the actual concept. I think that uh, Facto is actually a little neat thing. I think I might have gotten involved in this. I think I might have thrown up a page about myself. I'm not sure 100, percent but this is so you did this on a weekend. So it was like a Rails Rumble kind of thing, or just uh, on your own, to, you know, just playing around. Uh, on my own, just I couldn't even tell you why I decided to do it, other than. I dreamt up the idea and wanted to test this whole viral thing and built it literally like slapped it together in 24 hours, launched it. Um, like Jeffrey Zeldman made a page and tweeted it. It was hilarious. It was just like, you know, so interesting to see how this stuff works and, and with the right kind of simple mechanics, you can really get something, you know, to, to blow up. I mean, the three words dot me, um, that, I don't know if you remember seeing yeah, that. Yeah, that's the I think that was the one I was confusing this with was that that three words like three words about yourself or three phrases or something like that, and it was very much like this where you do it and you tell your friends to go do it, and then next thing you know everybody's on there, 
adding a little bit of information about them, like factos or factoids, and that's why I thought they were the same, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think that had been that was definitely prior to this one, but um, so, yeah, I guess similar, certainly similar. But uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. The way you know, and I guess in a way it parlayed into forest growth. All of our growth is through word of mouth, Twitter, Facebook posts, and all this other you know hacker news. We don't spend a cent on advertising, which is which is awesome. Our cost to acquire a user is zero. Well, let's um, let's take a note of that for sure. I want to talk about uh, what you've learned there, but let's talk about. You had just said that it helped you with with forest growth today. So, what were some of the things that you learned from this experiment? Um, I mean, I think I think so. Kind of tuning the viral loop, and I'm by no means an expert whatsoever. Uh, far from it, but just kind of learning about. And you know, I talked to Noah Kagan from AppSumo a bit, and uh, Heat and Shah are two people that I've looked up to as far as like advice and whatnot over the last couple of years. Um, just kind of learning, like building these really simple mechanics. It's like making it really easy, the, the minimum amount of effort and the minimum amount of uh, <clears throat> barriers that are required to get someone to do a behavior. So signing up, you know, the Facebook connect stuff is great for sites that want to leverage Facebook and make sign up, you know, literally one or two clicks, um, so things like that kind of parlayed into forest, you know, helping, helping me think through the whole invite flow, how, how we can encourage people to, you know, that are looking for invites to, to seek them out really easily and who are looking to invite people. There's a whole flow on the site that's like really simple. Um, you can kind of browse users who are looking to get access to the site really like one click. Um, cast your vote for them, which essentially gets them in, or you know, kind of pass. Uh, so it's helped. It's helped us really like hand all the growth off to our users. So they, and this this goes into some other stuff about community building and making users f- feel like they have ownership. But um, our users grow the site for us because they're really the way they see it is that they're growing this community that they love. Uh, and we're kind of we we provide the tools and kind of tune the experience around that, but it's all it's all them. When we look at uh, when we look at Forest, it's invite only. You just said that uh, you you kind of offload the growth um, to your user base, basically. And and I guess that's is it. Um, was that always the intention? Like I know early on people do invite only just because they want to not open the floodgates and it's something that everybody wants to get involved in and you kind of throttle it. Is, is this because you want to throttle or is it because it's it's just you want to do what you just said, offload to the user base? Um, well, initially it was just because it was a brand new product and I wanted to make sure that I could grow it really slowly and make sure it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, people weren't signing up that I didn't necessarily know, uh, which is something I'm, I'm a huge believer in is like the initial, the initial set of users you have, hopefully are people, you know, and trust, uh, to give you honest feedback. And uh, I think there was this thing about, um, well, we're, we're, we're staying clean. So I won't, I won't say the, the full title, but it involved you know, <laughs> gr- grinning. I think, you know what I was talking yeah. about. Um, but it's, it's really true. I mean, a little bit of a tangent, but, it was important to have a bunch of colleagues and friends using it first uh, and to be able to control access. But what happened was that I kind of played that up a bunch um, just to see how far I could take it. I would 
I would every day for for a little bit. There was this window where you could you could skip the line. I was still I was still manually uh, vetting on the back end, and for no other reason, you know, I'm not not to say well you're not good enough, quote unquote, but just to make sure that they were a a developer or designer who was actively participating in the industry and had some body of work to show for it, and that they had you know a desire to be um, to improve their craft and 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 whatnot. So it kind of just stayed invite only and transitioned from yeah, I just need to make sure only my friends can sign up for now while I'm testing things to this is actually a really interesting way to grow a focused site, making sure like to date, I mean, I, I don't think we've had more than a few spam accounts and they're, they're not even the automated stuff. It's just users that somehow take the time to create spammy posts, but we, you know, we ban them. Um, but uh, yeah, we've had low, almost nil spam and very few, if any, recruiters. I can't think of one instance, at least that we we're aware of, where recruiters have sort of invaded. So in that sense, it was great to see the model work really well to keep the site focused around the users who should be participating and sort of keeping out users who would not really be there for the right reasons. Right, you got people policing, you know, other people basically, and the way that you get them in, into the system anyways is, is that you're validated in a sense, not so much by how awesome your code is, but just the fact that you are a coder or you are, um, you know, the target audience of force, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I don't want to say you're not good enough, um, but I think there is a threshold, something I've been thinking a lot about, which is sort of like this effort threshold. So it's not about your your aptitude for how pixel perfect your designs can be or how, you know, how robust of a programmer you are. I think it's much more about how much passion you have for what you're doing and your desire to genuinely improve your craft um, and grow, you know, hopefully with with minimal ego and all that. So it's a a hard one to quantify, though. You know, you can't necessarily write code around it. Um, It's much, much more of a human problem. So that's why I think this invite model kind of works really well. Speaking of invites, I was actually invited by a guy who was invited by you. And, and the person I was invited by into Forest, I think I've been on Forest, I don't even know how long it was. It must have been a long time. Um, I can tell you if you really want to know, because I think on my on my page it should say that, right? No, it doesn't say when I joined. But I was invited by Mike Evans. and Yes. Which is kind of cool because he is the host of forest podcast yes he is the forest podcast host and um also i think employee number technically number one half maybe (laughs) yeah something like that he uh i'll tell you his user id right now um it's in the low 20s i think um but yeah so mike mike's been around since almost the very beginning uh he is 27 user number 27 what's me i'm adam stack on forest i'll tell you right now, hold on one sec here. Um, but Mike, yeah, Mike, Mike's been around since the beginning. You are 21,995. Oh, man. So I'm not cool. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, so, so Mike, Mike's been around since almost the very beginning. Uh, he started the podcast as just a fan thing, really. He's like, yeah, I like the site and, 
um, sort of doing some some interesting stuff with both content on Forest and kind of mixing in stuff from around the web. It's a nice blend. I think they were doing it almost daily for a while. Um, a couple thousand subscribers, which is just really cool to see as, from my perspective, was awesome to see someone so passionate about the community that they went and did this this really cool thing uh, and did it well. Um, and then I, I think I ended up hiring Mike like August 2009, 10. I, this, my memory is terrible. Uh, 2010, I think. Um, as our, you know, and to this day is our lead moderator. We're a little further in to uh, talking about Forrest than I wanted to be. I really wanted to focus on, um, I, I guess, the history. Because what I think I love most about hosting this show and, and having people on like yourself is that, like we said earlier, that while Forrest is your primary focus right now and there's a lot of fun stuff we could talk about around it, it's not what defines you. And I think what people most enjoy about this as well is that uh, we kind of get to learn a little bit about you that someone can't just kind of go and read from your blog or or garnish from your Twitter handle or, you know, maybe it's something you'll only learn from a podcast like this or in the hallways of a conference or some sort of meetup uh, locally with you or whatever. So let's let's rewind way before Forrest, way before uh, even before you might have even thought the idea about. So you're an engineer primarily, so some of your history extends back into Huffington Post and doing some stuff there. I don't yep. really know a lot about your history. Help me understand kind of where you came from. Did you go to school? Where did you find your passion for, for web and web technologies and community stuff? Uh, as they say, I was born at a very young age. Um, I've always wanted to use that line, so <laughs> now now I have. Um, I, I, I started teaching myself how to code Visual Basic three when I was I think ten or eleven, mostly being the slightly overweight, bored, uh antisocial kid. Um found a bunch of like I guess decent tutorials online, found a you know, a, a copy of Visual Basic that fell off the back of a truck. Um and just started learning how to how to write code. I thought it was really interesting. Uh much of my family are either creatively inclined, so like artist or graphic design type of thing. Um, and another big portion is just very like science oriented. Or uh, my my dad's an airline pilot, ex Air Force. Very cool. Uh, granddad is a, a physician, so like a lot of the you know logical science and math type of stuff. But um, so it's, it was a nice blend that I think I inherited a equal parts of, maybe a little bit more on the logic, science, math side. But um, it, it's just really fascinating to to know that I can make something out of nothing. And whether that's you know a drawing, I was huge into drawing when I was little. Uh, whether that's drawing something or writing code and building this thing that didn't exist an hour an hour ago, or or whatever. I just think it's so fascinating. So probably why I was drawn to it, but taught myself kind of kept with it. Um, over my teens, I think I had, I think I had a class in high school called like web design or something like that, which was, we were using Dreamweaver and messing with Miva merchant and just totally at that point I had picked up PHP in my SQL. So it was a little bit, 
I felt like I was a little bit further along than the class, but it was interesting just because it showed me that, like, wow, there's people, people actually care about this stuff. And it was, I guess there's a potentially a, a career to be had doing something like this. Um, and fortunately I was kind of, I've always, I've always had this kind of weird thing about the rules, maybe not applying to me as much, but <laughs> mostly, mostly complete fantasy. But, um, I kind of became acquaintances with, with that, that teacher, this guy, Tim Kearns. Um, and he, uh, you know, I ended up like hanging out in his office on study halls or whatever, right, and yeah. mess- messing around with like SSH and, it was cool to see that he had had this sort of like side career doing web stuff and and I don't know it was it was interesting to think like wow I could I could be doing this stuff and I actually enjoy it and it seems like it seems like in demand and whatnot. Um, college was an interesting story. I had originally planned to do like German and computer science double major. Some some things happened. I got pretty sick during orientation. Um, before we go too too far into that, I, I want to back up and just talk about Tim for just a second because yeah, that's uh that's kind of unique in the fact that you were. I mean, I guess everybody is um is inspired by a teacher in some way, shape, or form. But you had a, you had the blessing of being inspired at a very young age in high school. I guess it's people are inspired much younger than that. But I mean, can you rewind to that moment? And was it really a huge crux? Like, oh wow, this is you know. Did you see yourself going into the web world at that point, or what? What was that moment like? Um, I think it was probably not as profound as as people tend to think it is. It was just much more. Oh, this is cool. You know, this this guy's like making an income from playing with code and messing around with like websites and whatnot. Um, I didn't have this like epiphany type of thing <laughs> where the heavens opened up and everything was clearer and I knew my path and whatever, but I think it was still, it was just, there was something exciting about it. Uh, not to mention it feels good when you're, you can blow away everyone else in your class, um, with, you know, knowing, knowing the teacher and well, no, not, not that so much knowing like PHP and my SQL and being able to build dynamic stuff. Like the, the class was mostly just like static single or few page, uh, like marketing sites, and I was, you know, I was at a point where I knew enough PHP to be moderately dangerous, and it was kind of cool. Well, let's go. Let's go into college. And so you weren't. Uh, tell us. Uh, you said you were going in the language, or you weren't going into. What was the story there? Um, yeah, I wanted to potentially do like a computer science and German or linguistics double major. Um, I think I. I think I got a lot of my language stuff from my dad. Um, being in the Air Force, I think he picked up uh, German, Italian, some Arabic, uh, some French. So, like, very, very, very interesting guy, and and instilled this really probably the other huge part of it instilled this really big love of languages uh, at a very early age. I remember reading this um, German's children book. A children's book called um, uh, I don't even remember it's Kunterbunte Kinderwelt or something like that, uh, which means like motley children's world. <laughs> um, with with him and uh, uh, I don't know I must have been like six or seven, but 
So, so I had like the language thing, which makes a lot of sense now because I mean, you know, German and and spoken languages are really, I think, analogous to the computer programming languages in a lot of ways. Um, so I thought I wanted to pursue that, but you know, I got really sick, ended up in the hospital for a bit, and then kind of realized I don't really want to know what I want to do. Um, I ended up going to a community college. Uh, in my hometown for for a little bit, I think like a year and a half, not really having so much direction. Um, but on the side, this is where I started doing some like pay, actual paid client work, mostly like I think I started with doing WordPress stuff, um, small time small time things. But that was that was when I was sort of looking for bigger and better things and got connected with the Huffington Post through a I think 37 signals job board listing, um, which was sort of the the beginning of it all. What year was that? Oh man, that was 06, I think. Mm, that was a good year. That's uh, that's a year before. Not no, it was the same year I started to work on my very first Rails based website, which was what opened up the world for me to understand that the web was more than just landing pages and marketing. And blogs and stuff. I was like, wow, there's actually you can actually build web apps, and it you don't have to be an uber nerd to actually do it. You can kind of learn on the fly and learn more about community and stuff like that. So is and you said 37 signals. So that's kind of Rails, right? Uh, yeah. That well, I think that yeah, they were they were doing Rails. I mean, they they invented <laughs> when was that? Oh, oh five or something? Yeah, I think it was oh five. Was was when the 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 phrase "whoops" became the most famous phrase for for a while there in our neighborhoods. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so yeah. So stepping back from that, a few years. I, re- I don't know if you remember DeskMod. No, I don't remember DeskMod. So this was like a something akin to like uh, DeviantArt in like okay, yeah, early two thousand two thousand one or so. Um, never was big into the customization seen by any stretch but as a product i was just so fascinated it was like this really robust community site um you know theme they built like this this whole engine called modworks uh which helped them like build out new features and it was just something really fascinating about it just it was this enormous project it seemed like and just really powerful and this great community around all this customization stuff but i ended up ironically I guess I guess in like right when Rails was like 0.5 or whatever, messing around with it, and I remember trying to deploy it by just throwing it on a on a server with FTP or something, which was great because it was incredibly slow and I had no idea what I was doing. But um, I ended up doing some contract work for the the guys that started Decimod. They were doing this other Rails project in like 06, um, which was way too early. It was some location based product it was right kind, yeah. of, kind of interesting to think about now um but it was just like you know i think a little bit ahead of its time um never worked out but it was cool for me to to be able to actually like work with these guys that sparked a lot of the inspiration that i felt with you know wow the web apps are kind of this really interesting thing that it's not a marketing site it's not like a blog it's this it's this like completely open-ended thing that you can actually create 
You know, I never, I never had fathomed that there was that side of it to to writing code. And so, in in '06, you got the the Huffington Post job from uh, Thirty Seven Signals uh, job. But what is that board, job board called again? Just, I think it's just jobs dot thirty seven signals dot yeah. com or something. And so you, that was '06, and it's you know we're now in 2012. How long did were you there? Was it just a few years or like quite a bit? Um, I was at Huffington Post for, I think, about a year. What was some of the things that you did there? I initially, so the the initial contract stuff was, uh, like maybe it was like oh yeah, it was like very late '06 or very early '07. Um, they had right when they relaunched from just the blog that they had to the site that resembles what they have today, which is like all the verticals. Um all the different sections and whatnot. So I had been responsible for working with the designer they hired to do all the front end for all, I think it was like 25 unique pages in all, um, for all of their redesign stuff. So I was just for two or three months writing HTML and CSS and some JavaScript, cutting up all these PSDs, um, building all these pages, and then helping work with the lead developer to get them integrated into their very uh, uncomfortable um, movable type installation. Wow. Which which I, I guess they're still using to some degree, but it was a lot of, it was all movable type. So a lot of the templates that I was building were like repeated three or four times in various, various places and very interesting working with that platform for sure. But, um, yeah, so I did all the front end, um, and then they offered me a full time position. They're like, "Yeah, we we really like you, and we want you to start in like two weeks uh, full time." So I ended up moving to New York, uh, broke my lease, moved to New York in I think May two thousand seven to to work there full time, and I ended up doing a lot of stuff around the comment engine. And the moderation tools that that they have for all the comment stuff, um, a lot of like porting certain things from Perl to PHP, you know, moving out of movable type um, and to like custom built PHP stuff. Uh, cut my teeth on you know scaling and and all the fun and pain that comes with that. Um, did yeah, I did that for I guess another I don't know another. I think about a year in total. So if we uh, if we look at what you learned from Huffington Post, I mean, they got you to New York City, which is kind of cool. Where, where did you go from? You were in New York when obviously when they hired you, but uh, or not when they hired you, but you moved there. Where did you move from? From right by Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Okay, so not too far, close enough. But what uh, is that also where um, Gary's based out of like his company, and then you end up kind of moving into a different role there with, with court. How, how did that happen? Um, I think they're in North, I think it's like North Jersey or something. Not, not too, too far. Um, so around the time that I found the, the Huffington Post listing, I also found another listing with this guy, Nate Westheimer. Um, he had been working on a project and needed some front end help and some like light rails help. And I ended up doing that as well. And we stayed in touch when I moved up here and ended up, you know, through becoming friends and talking about web and all that, we decided to have a go at 
this this startup. Um, so I left Huffington Post to pursue it with Nate. Uh, it was called Brick-a-Box. Um, kind of, it had, it's almost like part of New York folklore at this point, I think, because it was just this monumental failure, um, like a solution in search of a problem type of thing. But we had a blast uh, building this thing and um, ended up, I ended up leaving. We had sort of a falling out a little bit and have since, you know, have since put that behind us. I think it's just when you work with a, such a close friend on something just so immensely stressful, you know, you're bound to ruffle some feathers. Um, but so I, I did that for a bit. Um, then we eventually shut that down. Um, and then from there, you know, there's a bunch of different things that, that, I ended up doing this. Um, so where did that, t- I mean, at what point though, did you, did this, um, did you meet up with Gary and start working at court? So in 07, Nate and I went to Las Vegas to blog world to launch brick box, which was brick box was sort of supposed to be this platform where you could build. Is it brick a box or how do you, it's, it's a B R I C A B O X. So it was this thing that you were supposed to be able to build these little niche community sites. Uh, so, like if you if you had a if you had like a video blog, you could build it with Brickabox and like build a community around it. Uh, it was almost like Ning, but highly structured content. So yeah. you could build you could build like a like a Flickr clone. You know, if you had like a photo oriented community. Um, all sorts of things. So it was sort of like a kitchen sink, uh, and just nobody really had that problem. So we, uh, you know, of course ran out of money, I think, and, uh, ended up moving on, but it was, it was fun. But, uh, so we went to Vegas and met, met a few people there. Um, met Gary for the first time, met, uh, Alex Hillman, who's down doing Indie Hall in Philadelphia. Um, or Alex knows HTML is I think the internet probably knows him. Right. Uh, um, met a met a friend of ours uh, named Willow who's out doing uh, Stitch Labs in in San Francisco. Um, so it was a blast in that respect, just meeting a bunch of really cool people. Um, Gary was I think way lesser known at that point, but starting to get a little get a little serious. Uh, and we just all stayed in touch, and then fast forward. After Brickabox, I did some a bunch of consulting. Um, did one some mobile messaging app consulting with uh, one of the Huffington Post uh, DevOps guys, um, and then ended up connecting with Gary again and going to Quark. You know, sort of like I think Nate actually mentioned it. He was like, "Hey, yeah, Gary's looking for a lead developer on Quark. You know, you should talk to him." And so I did, and had an offer and said, why not? And kind of went to town. This was uh, July 09. And the reason why I wanted to really, I forgot how you got connected with Gary was, was that uh, you were lucky enough actually to have him do some angel investing into forest. Mm. And I was wondering how that connection came about. I mean, I knew that you had worked there, but I was thinking like beyond like working for somebody and doing some stuff, I was really wondering how that, relationship fostered and, and how you met like you know sometimes you meet people at conferences or you know like in your case you know nate kind of introduced you or he said you know 
hey, Gary's looking for a, a lead developer and kind of plugged you in or whatever. I always just wonder how relationships like that, uh, kind of like that begin. So I guess we're almost, we're almost to, to, uh, to today, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, Gary was just a, yeah, awesome, crazy guy that we met and <laughs> yeah. stayed in touch and quirked, shifted directions quite substantially uh, into this content play that didn't really need me anymore, which was perfect timing um, because I had sort of started kicking around what would become Forest, um, I think like in late late 2009. And we just, we kind of, he and AJ and I, uh, AJ, his brother, yeah. um, kind of went and had this like midnight meeting at some restaurant in uh, like Soho or something crazy and just really talked about like what's up with Quirked and, and you know, what, what's going on with this forest thing. Like it seems really cool. And I think, I think it was just, it made, it made me, you know, ecstatic to think that, uh, I could go, you know, he basically was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to, you know, given what's going on with Quirked and everything, I'd love to, you know, help, help, help you, you know, give forest a shot. Cause at that point, I think this was like March, there was some traction for sure, uh, maybe February or something, 2010. But either way, like it, it was clear that there was something there. Uh, so he, he and AJ invested the first, uh, the first um, capital. I went and just went full time. Um, you know, worked worked my tail off, and that's kind of that was that. So this is late 2009. You're in, you're technically employee number one. I mean, now you have more than just yourself. You have a few others kicking around the tires and doing some things with you. And and you've is this the first time you've ever been solo in this since I guess besides Brick a Box and some other um, experiments or side projects like you mentioned. But is this the first time it was kind of it felt legit to you? Yeah, I think this is the first time I was really in a role other than lead developer type, you know, this was, this was like every CEO, CTO product, you know, lead product guy, you name it, marketing, biz dev, whatever, you know, make up a title if you want. But, um, this is the first time I was really at truly at the helm in a way where this was, that was it. Like I didn't, I didn't have a co-founder per se, um, whereas like with Nate and I, you know, I was a co-founder, uh, but this was the first time that I had gone, gone solo on something and, you know, had capital to work with and really had some runway to, to give this thing a shot. And if we rewind a tiny, tiny bit, what was, what was the crux of the idea with Forge? Like what was going on that, that made you even want to do it in the first place? What was some of the early ideas of Forge like? Uh, for me, I mean, I, I just been thinking a lot about why, like, what barriers existed to me sharing more on, you know, writing more or or doing some technical blogging or whatever. So Forest was my solution to that, which was really supposed to be more like Tumblr for developers and designers, much more about, hey, this is interesting, um, hey, this is like a cool Ruby one-liner, or this is some great design that I'm, I'm really enjoying right now. Um, the community thing was not, not even on the table. I just had no, no concept of, of Forrest having that potential. It just sort of happened by accident. Let's talk about some of the features, I suppose. I mean, I, I think that 
the first the thing that comes to mind is we talked about earlier about cost per acquisition, and you talked about um, products. You know, you feel like now you're a lot more of a product person than you are. Um, like when you introduce yourself rather than have me do it, like normally I would intro a guest just because it's a little easier to pin down what they do. And it seems like you've morphed a lot over, over the years and I didn't want to do you any injustice by, you know, just saying you're an engineer of some sort, you know, I wanted to allow you to, to, I guess, tell the audience whom you really are. And, and you described yourself as a product person. So we look at the need to make money from it. I mean, obviously you can't live off of an angel investment early on. You have to eventually get somewhere. So what were some of the things that you had done when you took that investment and you went and got busy? What was some of the first thoughts you had towards like the, the next levels of it? Was all was it all about community? Was it uh, the invite model like we talked about earlier or was it more around how to make money? Um, no, I mean, it was definitely way more around community. And it still is. I mean, to this day, it's still. That's what I've. We've discarded more revenue models than than I can count because they weren't respectful to the community. Uh, it's a really fine line, um, as I'm sure anyone will tell you. You know, trying to balance community with the business side because certainly, yeah, yeah you, you can't live forever on a on a small investment. Uh, we did end up raising raising a uh, a seed round uh, later on, but. I think it was just like, okay, I know there's something here. I've got to make sure that it's curated and that the community element is front and center. Um, we did start making, I mean, we quote-unquote launched officially in May 2010 and started making revenue in July. Um, but it, revenue has always been this very interesting thing for us where they're almost experiments. You know, going back to this experimental approach to things, um, you know, what can we do that, that is respectful to the community and helps them in some way? So, you know, we have a very sen- a very tasteful advertising unit, which hopefully the, all the products, you know, sort of deck style. It's like they're all kind of targeted at our audience. Uh, so hopefully useful there. We have um, the ability you can promote you can promote your content across Forest in its entirety. So helping our users get more exposure for their products and whatnot. Um, the job stuff obviously helps them get jobs, uh, and those are all vetted by us, so we won't approve anything that's disrespectful or just outlandish. Um, you know, this whole, like, we need a rock star, hacker, guru, whatever, you know. I don't know if you uh, know this. I run a, another podcast called The Change Log, and for a while there we were promoting GitHub jobs, um, which was totally cool. We so much appreciate GitHub and their support to us, but... It was like, you know, everybody wanted a rock star of something. And it was, it was like, oh man, it was, it just drove us crazy. We couldn't do the same job as anymore because it was the same thing was every ad was the same, basically. Yeah. I'm not sure where that came from, but it's, you know, I, I've given up on trying to, trying to fight it other than we just don't allow it. Um, I think now the new thing is like, we need a, we need a fill in the blank hacker. We need like a, like a food hacker. We need a, you know, a hacker, hacker, or whatever. Um, so hacker has now been just completely messed up. But uh, nonetheless, yeah. So so back to the revenue stuff. Everything we try to do is like balances balances out with making sure it's good for the community. And um, it's been interesting. I think you know now we're at a point where we know you know we know that the community is highly engaged. Um, just like really really incredible to see people. 
just so active. Um, and now we're kind of at this next stage of growth where we know we have, you know, we, we know we're, we're onto something and now it's blowing it up, you know, and that's, it's a pretty straightforward goal. Um, but a, a hard one, certainly, but, um, you know, I, I'm very excited about, about doing that. Can we talk a little bit about some of the revenue models you've thrown out? Not so much in, in depth of each of them, but more so just, uh, to articulate your respect for the community. Sure. Um, let me see if I can think of one that's at least worth sharing. Um, we thought about doing kind of like, not, I hate to call it lead gen because it's really not, but basically charging someone to be able to contact a user. So more along the lines of spam prevention. Uh, so if I if I'm if I'm just any any old person on the internet and I come across your forest profile and I want to contact you about a job or whatever, um, you know, I think we all can agree that we hate recruiter spam from LinkedIn and everywhere else. So the the idea was like we would charge someone to contact you. You know, it, it felt sort of nickel and diming, and I think it really didn't solve any real problem because you could probably track their, you know, we could track their Twitter handle or email or personal site anyway. Right. Um, and it wasn't really, it wasn't really, there wasn't really a net benefit to the member of the community other than, well, you're not annoyed by this spammy person, but did it really help you grow or make, you know, make money by having an awesome gig or something like that? No, not really. So, you know, we ended up not doing it. And, you know, the the audience might not know this, but uh, a year ago you were actually on the line with uh, with Dan, Dan uh, Benjamin here on 5x5, and he did a fantastic job getting a, a nice bite-sized 30-minute of what you've been about. But that was a year ago. And he had even asked you, um, and it seemed like you kind of got frustrated by it, too, in a sense that, um, and I know early on I kind of introed Dribble along with um, with you and with Forrest, but I understand that you kind of get a little frustrated when people try to compare the two of you guys together. Like, so you've got a few different revenue models you've tried. They've got a few different they've tried. You're in a similar vein, but you're not exactly the same, and... Uh, and I hear, you know, just a, a number of different things, I guess, out here in the community. I'm on Dribble, I'm on Force, I'm on both. I love you guys both. But I'm just kind of curious, you know, what, um, you know, what do you feel, I guess, about what Dribble is doing and what, what you're doing at Force, being the, the main product guy and trying to laser focus on revenue models that, that actually work and respect the community? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think... Uh... I think for me it's it's been an exercise in having a very thick skin um you know i I think the way I see it is that I love dribble i mean i I have an account also I pay for the pro the pro stuff I think it's a fantastic product you know obviously I respect Dan and rich immensely um for what they've built, and I just think at the end of the day for me it's like is it really the most productive use of someone's time? to nitpick about, well, dribble is this or forest is that or whatever. It's just, it just feels a little bit like we could be doing better things. But even so, I think for us, like we just have a broader focus around not so much just the, the screenshot aspect of here's something I'm working on right now. I think it's a little bit broader in terms of 
uh, we support code and, and questions and whatnot. And a little, you know, I think bigger, you know, bigger screenshots certainly. But I think for Forest, it's always been a bit more about, hey, I don't know how I feel about this, and can you help me out, or I'm really stuck, or something like that. Uh, which is just where it's evolved. I mean, people certainly some do use it in the same sort of, hey, here's an update on what I'm working on, uh, as they do with Dribble. But you know, at the end of the day, I just think we're 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 fighting the good fight. Yeah. And it's a hard fight to fight in terms of not being something in the industry that isn't a net positive for the industry. So I think you know, I like I said in, in the beginning, I, I think Dribble's doing a great job of raising the bar in the industry and you know hopefully getting people to to really form a bond around what we do because it's a, I think it's a really special thing what we do you know not not everyone is able to create you know so and, and for us uh, I think I would like to think we're doing uh, you know net positive as well so not only do you have um I guess a similar model in terms of how you've got an invite only community going on here, but you've broken out to be a, a lot more than that. And I think you're totally right. I didn't want to beat that dead horse and the fact that you guys are in a similar vein. Cause I think you guys are totally different in a lot of ways and similar only in like one or two small ways. But for some reason you kind of get pushed in that same, that same vein. And I, I don't like it either, to be honest with you. Cause I think that you could do a ton of stuff on forest that, that you just can't do. Like I've actually had thorough long conversations about pieces of code and not only that, but like screenshots of code and, or just screenshots of a blog post I'm working on or whatever. And it's a, it's a, di- it's a whole different world in, in my opinion. But, um, when you first, yeah, I mean, just, I was just going to mention to that point. I think our, I, what's interesting is like, I think we actually like the comment unit on forest is actually almost, more valuable to us than the actual post. Like the post just exists to get people talking about something. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I can't speak to dribbles intentions or, or whatnot, but, um, that's just like for us, it's, it's more about the conversation around the work versus like the work. And certainly, I mean, I, I enjoy as much as the next guy just drooling at some of the awesome stuff going, going down on dribble. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's an easy way to get a, a, a quick, snapshot of of some really awesome interface or following a certain trend and it doesn't seem like that's what you're trying to do though it seems like you're more um less on here's the hotness it's more and i don't mean that in a a negative way around the product but more so around what you're screenshotting it's more about um you know you've got a group of friends or a collective of people that you're connected with there and you've got people that you can seek feedback you can post to them and it's it's a little bit more of a like a walled garden private community that you've got um, access to. And it seems like that's not at all what they're, they're doing. Yeah. I mean, forest has always been, I think you, you need a log, you need to be logged in to see most things. Um, it's much, we've never, I've never tried to really focus on the consumption stuff so much, but nonetheless, it's, yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I think it's just like this thing that has given me a very thick skin uh, over the last two years. And, you know, people at the end of the day are going to be use the internet to be really terrible and and do this stuff. If not Dribble and Forest, then you know two other services. Um, but you know, what, what can you do? You just have to you just have to create value and and kind of look past it. Well, let's let's talk about some value. I'm glad you brought up value because that's exactly where I wanted to go. Um, 
somehow you have to get paid for providing value. So what kind of ways do you provide value and what kind of ways do you get paid uh, at Forest? Well, I mean, I think the the biggest value we're we're kind of providing is this network. I mean, you can, you know, this is something Union Square is big about, but it's like you can't really copy a network. You can copy, I mean, look at look at Pinspire, that German Pinterest clone. You know, it's a one. <laughs> I didn't know there was one. one. Yeah, apparently there's there's some brothers or some company or something that are notorious for ripping off sites, but it's literally like a one to one Pinterest clone. So they can copy product all they want, but the network on Pinterest is really what is, yeah. you know, epic and and really just like completely unique to Pinterest. So I think it's an interesting lesson to be learned that you you can't you can copy product till you're blue in the face, but the the network is really the valuable part. So I think our value is the network that Forest is, the community that has been built. Um, you know, and that extends offline too. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have ended up building working relationships or just like having meetups and hanging out and talking shop. It's just it's incredible to see this thing that's really just a bunch of, you know, code sitting on a server somewhere is this catalyst for fostering growth with you know developers and designers internationally. I just think it's remarkable and I can't even can't still can't quite wrap my head around it. Um but as for how we get paid, I mean we're getting paid by I think about eleven or twelve hundred supporter accounts, so people that really believe in what we're doing and have kind of put their money where their mouth is as far as supporting the site with a, a token. You know, it's like five bucks a month or something. Um, but most of the, the big revenue comes externally. So we're, we're providing this network for people to really grow, uh, in their, you know, in their craft, but we're then allowing companies that want to act, you know, want to have access to that, we're providing that access. And again, it's all about respectfulness to the community and po- job posts that aren't, you know, aren't, aren't sort of like this rock star guru stuff. Um, so, so I think it's sort of like this idea about you have these community driven revenue models and then you have these externally driven revenue models, which the latter, I think scale way bigger, you know, the community stuff sort of scales linearly with the community for the most part, the external stuff can really, can really get huge. So that's kind of where we're focusing is, you know, the talent stuff and how can we, how can we be more than just the average job board? Um, so, you know, we're, creating value for companies too through the hiring process and and uh you know well we uh it's been interesting we uh we have some stuff that you can't quite get on a lot of other job sites just for no other reason than we have users logged in using the site so we know much more about them it's not this anonymous email contact or whatever right uh, as you might have on craigslist or uh or a lot of the kind of browse based you know you're sort of I don't think you have to log into many of the job sites. Um, you know, GitHub and Stack Exchange might be two exceptions, but uh, for the most part, you know, it helps us give instant context to hires about people who are applying. We can send over their forest profiles, their reputation, which you know, our reputation engine has been chugging along for about a year and a half and is actually scarily accurate. I've hired, I think, to date, like three, three or four people over the last two years. Either you know Zach and Mike were f- through Forest. Uh, Pascal did all, all of our illustrations and our identity. 
found him through Forrest and uh, one other person. But uh, so yeah, so I think you know we're creating value for our users, and you know that's inherently valuable to companies that are kind of looking for for talent. Now you you'd mentioned Noah Kagan earlier in the call, and that you've had some conversation with him on cost per acquisition. I know he's been on this podcast, and I think that was. Um, not not the most, but definitely one of the most popular shows uh, on Finder Stock. I think just because Noah's a character and uh, he's uh, he's an awesome dude. But tell me about what you're doing around cost per acquisition. And then you mentioned that earlier, and I kind of stopped you to kind of get some of your back history. But uh, take off where I left off, where we left off from there, please. Sure. Yes. Um, so I was saying earlier, our cost per acquisition is essentially zero. So we don't, we don't, I mean, I've, I've done some experiments with Facebook ads and Reddit ads. Um, and I think one round of like display ads on whatever network. So I've spent under a couple hundred dollars, uh, ever on, on advertising all of our, all of our signups and we're growing the three to 4,000 users a month consistently are invitation driven. So whether that's someone who's applying for an invite directly to the site or someone who's inviting their colleague, um, we're you know 100% member-driven growth, which is really cool. So you know if there's people are tweeting and Facebook posting on Facebook and Hacker News and blogging, Forest posts on a daily basis, that's driving people to the site who are eager to find out more. We have a waiting list that. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, is usually between 1,500 to 20,000 people uh, at any given time. So it's it's been really cool to have this kind of member-driven growth really work out for us just because I, I can't fathom at this point having to spend money on, on you know, finding, finding users. I think on the flip side, just to provide some, you know, counter-argument, I think where we we will start spending some money is around acquiring you know high quality companies who are looking who are looking to hire people i think that's one angle where you have this you have this initial buzz from the launch for us was i think in like late october and then i call it the trough of sorrow i think dave mcclure calls it that maybe that's where i heard it first but anyway you have this like trough of sorrow which is sort of the dip after the initial buzz wears off and that's kind of where we are now with the job stuff, you know, we'll have to go out and do do some interesting marketing around that. Um, but but yeah, so I think for us, it's just by nature of the invite model. I would imagine for for Dribble, probably a similar situation. Pinterest, you know, we're we're basically creating a lot of value for users in this community because they feel ownership of the community and they want to see it be healthy and thrive. Then we're allowing them to earn invites through good behavior and participation. They're getting their colleagues in, and it's just it's a you know sort of a cyclical thing. Well, you mentioned Dave McClure, and I think that's kind of neat that uh, this what would you call it? Something of sorrow, trough of sorrow, is it? Oh, uh, trough of sorrow, where you're really hot and then you're not, and you're not so much not hot. It's just you're not. Getting your door pounded down is kind of more sustainable rather than constantly getting beat down. Um, I think it's kind of neat though that uh, that Dave is actually one of your investors. Even uh, 
somebody is in your list here of, of previous investors. I'm checking out your angel list uh, listing here. Sahil um, was somebody I recently chatted with on Twitter about just you know founders talk and the fact that he likes the show and stuff. And it's it's neat to see him as um, as an investor as well. So and and obviously AJ and, and Gary and whatnot. But so uh, before we actually hit the record button. I had asked you uh, kind of a pointed question, which was, you know, what it, what are you working on right now? Like, what are you focused on right now? And the thing that kind of struck me when you said uh, in your response, when you said you're you're working on being focused, you know, you got rid of some other stuff, uh, you, you got rid of a, a completely different uh, side project or uh, an experiment, like you had said, you got Tiny Proj, which was recently sold, Streakly, which was a side project slash experiment that got taken off your plate, and you're you're working on focusing. What um what is that like now? Now you're working on Forest Hard, you're focusing, you're in that product role of of um taking it to the next level. What does that mean for you to focus? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's mostly just about making sure I think it's two parts. One is is making sure that I'm getting the things done that I need to be getting done. Uh, and this isn't to, to give, you know, I don't want to give the impression that I just kind of sit around and slack. Um, certainly not the case, but... Well, everything has shiny objects, right? I mean, you can constantly be, you know, just even keeping Twitter open, you can get shiny objects all day long, so... Yes, certainly, certainly. So, like, I, I, think, I think part of the problem was just by nature of me being kind of the sole, sole founder and having to wear a lot of hats... I constantly am trying to balance priorities around, well, is it coding time right now or is it product design time or is it marketing or biz dev time or, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of things around that and just kind of really, I think once it's easy to get distracted if you don't have, you know, I forget who I was talking to about this uh, a while back. Um, Now. Their name escapes me. It's embarrassing. But anyway, someone I was talking to was kind of saying, you know, you really need to pick a few, like one to three things to focus on, and that's your focus. So I think for Forrest, it's we know we have – we know we know we're sitting on something really special. Now it's taking it to the next level and blowing it up. That's the singular focus that we have. So now it's really easy to focus my own – behavior because I know that everything I need to do kind of revolves around that as far as work-wise. Now, I think the other half is just work-life balance, figuring out how to not be working seven days a week and, and ridiculous yeah. hours and just being stressed. and Because and, ultimately, I don't think the point of life is to work ourselves to death. Hopefully not. Um, but you know, for me, it's just like you said, I'm getting a lot of stuff off my plate. Uh, I finally got caught up on my inbox, which was just pathetic. <laughs> I was literally like three months behind at any given point. Um, and just dealing with things that need to get dealt with when they need to get dealt with and saying no, uh, which has been surprisingly challenging. Um, just, you know, whether it's whether it's meeting for coffee or, or doing a talk or whatever, um, I've really tried to really tried to just stay focused and uh be true to what you know what my goals are for forest so when you say the the work life balance and developing a product and going on the the motion of having to scale to a to a new level and whatnot what um I'm hearing a little bit of feedback so it's kind of weird that's why I'm 
kind of jumbling over my words here, but um, okay, in other words, <laughs> um, with, with that newfound focus, you said you were kind of three months behind your inbox and and whatnot, and, and you're learning to say no to some things. I'm kind of actually a little surprised then to hear that you said yes to me to come on this show. Then, since you're focusing so much, well, I think part of it is that, um, you know, I think this is like evening time and it's in the comfort of my own apartment and I don't, you know, I'm not expected to show up somewhere right. or gotcha. necessarily like, it's easy to talk about oneself because there's not that much to prepare. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I was, I was supposed to go speak at, um, design it, build it in the UK in I think April or May with Cameron mall is keynoting and I had to back out, um, which I just feel awful about, but it was just sort of a lot of stuff's going on around this whole focus thing and just not – it ended up being something I knew I couldn't – I knew I couldn't put 100% effort into preparing for the talk and really delivering the best that I could, which would just be disingenuous and unfair to everyone who's paid to go see that. You know what I mean? Right. So like that was something that – and I worked with them to find a replacement, which they hopefully are announcing soon. The, the guy's awesome. But, uh, and Ollie's been really understanding. But things like that. Um, I respect really, that though because it, it's tough when you commit – when you overcommit yourself sometimes. And I know that saying no is, is honestly probably one of the words that people say least often, you know, like – I don't say no often enough, and you know one thing I like about this show too is that I get to chat with people like you that remind me of things like that, and I need to learn how to say no more often, just as well, so I can focus on my work life balance and you know various things like that. I don't know what the what kind of things the audience is going through, but you know I, I love when we can have somebody like you come on the show and and give that kind of advice because you just have to be reminded sometimes that it's okay to say no. Sure, yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, I think the thing is that we all, you know, unless, unless you're just a really terrible person and or to have no interest in helping anyone else, which hopefully none of us are, yeah. but it's really easy to, to be like, yeah, of course I'll come hang out and, and have coffee or whatever, or answer this enormous email in detail about everything that I've ever done on forest or, you know, like I, I don't think I'm anybody special, but I do think that I have, some experience at this point with community stuff and product stuff. And I, I want nothing more than to impart whatever I can, wherever I can. And hopefully it helps someone else go do something a hundred times better than I'm ever going to do. But I think it's really hard. You know, like you said, you, you have to, you have to, we don't say no often enough. And it's really easy for me to get really uh, kind of distracted and just say yes to everything and then get, to a point where I'm like, wow, this entire week is just completely booked, and I don't know when I'm actually going to f- do any work. You know, so it, for me, it was the biggest hurdle was realizing that I'm not a bad person for not doing this stuff as much. You know, people aren't going to think I'm this awful miser that doesn't want to help them, and you know what I mean. It's just, yeah, it was a very and even email. Like I've gotten to the point where, unfortunately, I can't answer all of the emails that come through a lot of them are don't even really warrant a response you know it's like someone says thanks then i say thanks and then they say thanks and i you know <laughs> just could go forever and you know, we're we're probably 
at a point where it's like, okay, I don't, I don't really have to like, that's it. We've got, we got whatever done and that, that's that. Uh, I just, I was never, you know, like, I don't know how Gary does it. Like he gets, I think a billion emails a day and it just, you know, it's another, like, I have to stop. I guess the other takeaway is like, you have to stop feeling bad. You know, if there's no, if there's no malintent, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel bad about advocating for your own time. No way. I mean, somebody had said it recently. I actually listened to a lot of Brian Tracy. He's kind of a self-help kind of guy, but I learned about him back when I was in sales uh, years ago, and he just kind of stuck with me since. He has this book out called Eat That Frog, which is just phenomenal. If you're if you're about like, you know, everybody li- uh, reads David Allen's Getting Things Done, and I, that's great. GTD all the way, whatever it takes to get you into a groove to get to get things done, so be it. But I think by far, Eat That Frog trumps it 10 times. Like, you're reading a wrong book if you're reading that book. Um, but he said he said something in, in one of his, I, I don't know if it's really like a self-help or a motivational speech or whatever, but he just kind of gives you tidbits of knowledge that you really should have often. And he said, just because somebody sent you the email doesn't mean they bought your time and they, they require, you know, that you get a response like just because they sent you an email doesn't mean you owe them or like you had said you know any malintent you shouldn't feel bad about saying no to not replying to the email they don't own your time yeah i think that yeah exactly i think you know that was a huge hurdle for me was just dealing with the the newfound like forest forest got somewhere more so than any other product i've ever worked on um forest got somewhere and it makes stuff way more complicated when there's lots of support emails and lots of you know various things that are going on because there's a little bit of exposure around it and like I think I know a thing or two about community stuff now and um you know without at the behest of me feeling or me me sounding smug or anything like that but it, but yeah it's like I you just have to I just it, it was just really a difficult jump to make from yeah i'm totally fine doing this because like i barely have any obligations to wow i really just can't there's just not enough time to do it so let's talk about uh potentially one of the cool coolest questions i like to ask on this show which is um and and if you're a listener to this show colin you'll know the the next question coming up which is We've been talking about being able to say no, and I hope you don't say no to this, but being able to make time for for more things. So I got to imagine with this laser focus, you've got something that's on the horizon that you're working on, something super secret. Maybe you've talked about it elsewhere. Maybe you can't talk about it here, but I'm hoping that you got something awesome that you can announce that's uh, that's for Founders Talk only. Uh, I not not exactly, but I will I will I will say that. I think there are some pretty epic things coming up for Forest. Um, just not anything that I can really repeat quite yet, uh, though I would love to. Uh, and I purposely didn't listen uh, to any of the other podcasts yet, so I could be. But it paid off. It paid off because I, I was genuinely surprised by the question. But now I'm going to go listen to all of them hopefully um because there's some awesome people um but anyway yeah nothing i can talk about yet but uh suffice to say that it's going to be a very interesting year um i've got big plans and i i you know i i love to see them realized in some fashion 
But I mean, uh, truthfully, like the bigger thing is like getting married in May, and I want to start enjoying a little bit of life uh, outside of work, which hopefully with this focus that I'm trying to have will work out. That's awesome. So you're getting married this May, or you got married last May? This May. What day? Uh, 18th. Okay, because I'm getting married on May 4th. That's kind of wild. Yeah, thank That's you. Crazy. That's a good month for it. Congrats to you as well. Thanks. And it's, you know, you couldn't pick a, a better time to actually work on focusing, and I'm sure that your future significant other will certainly agree, because uh, that's a good thing. And, you know, to to if you want to pick one show to go back and listen to that might zoom in on this, it's uh, it's the last probably 15 to 20 minutes of the conversation I had with Andrew Wilkinson from MetaLab. And, you know, he, he was he, he had a lot to say about Steve Jobs, but I think ultimately what he pulled away from, I guess, Steve Jobs' life in general was that he did it, did a really good job of, of achieving his goals, but at the expense of a lot of stuff. And, you know, I, I know if you're like me, I don't want to attain my success at the cost of a marriage, at the cost of my children not knowing me, at the cost of so many other things that, you know, don't need to be mentioned here. But the fact that that's awesome, you know, you want to focus on those things. But at the same time, it's not to say that you're pulling away from force. In fact, you're digging into the thing that matters most. You got rid of Tiny Prod, you got rid of um, Streakly, you got rid of anything else that was bogging you down so that you can focus on the things that matter most. I think that's, that's definitely something to... That's that's like your super secret thing, man. That's awesome. Oh well, yeah, I guess I guess yes. That that is the super secret thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, absolutely. I think you know. I, I think um, the Steve Jobs stuff is really interesting. I forget who, who was it him or someone else in his in his uh, circle who said it's the journey is the reward. You know, I don't know. I I I heard mm. Hannah Montana say something about it, it's the climb. Mm, not familiar with her, but well, Hannah Montana uh, is actually her her other part. I was talking about uh, Molly. I'm not. I shouldn't even have mentioned it. But Molly Cyrus is <laughs> total joke. But oh, oh, right. I was right, trying right. to make the, a joke, but it wasn't funny. Yeah. No, 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 no. The um, what's she's like a singer or something, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the climb. It's one of her songs. Oh, right on. <laughs> no, not not familiar. Unfortunately, me either. Uh, I got a I got an eight year old though, so she's kind of a ah. Uh, there you go. She yeah, digs I, Hannah Montana. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a really, it's a really poignant, uh, kind of quote either way. Um, you know, the, the journey is the reward. So, you know, hopefully I think this year is going to be pretty epic one way or the other. Very cool. So if, uh, in closing, if there's any advice that you can give the audience besides laser focus, um, you know, what else from, from your past have you learned that, uh, like if you had an audience of a lot of entrepreneurs or would be entrepreneurs that, um, we're asking you directly, Hey, what's the best advice you can give me to, to, to be the best entrepreneur or the next, uh, or the best product person to, to really focus on my product? Yeah. I mean, I think the advice, the advice I always like to give people is that it's really, really easy to get caught up in the, you know, the, the meaningless stuff in this industry, whether it's, you know, too much, listening too much to the quote unquote journalistic out outfits or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I won't name them, but we can do the math on that. Um, you know, worrying about who's getting funding and who's getting this or that. I mean, ultimately none of that really matters if you're not shipping, you know, if you're not actually creating any value, I think, I just think it's so easy to get caught up in the game 
um, and worry about all the wrong things. Worry about everything that doesn't matter and not actually ever create anything, not ever actually release anything. It's just it changes the dynamic when you can say, yeah, I launched something. Even if it's terrible, even if it's completely awful and looks terrible and it, it's buggy, at least you shipped it. So I think I think a lot of people tend to get caught up in all of the extraneous stuff that comes with the industry, and you know I would love to see, I you know I, that's my that's my parting advice is just be aware that it's really easy to get caught up in the wrong stuff. Uh, I don't you know it sounds like drugs or whatever. It's not 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 like that kind of wrong stuff. But <laughs> it's, it is drugs. I mean it's it's the the badness of our industry. I mean it's the crap you shouldn't pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. So I guess in a way you're right. It is. Um but uh yeah, I mean it's just it's really easy to to just get caught up in in the things that don't really at the end of the day don't get you any further along to launching the idea that you you think should exist. That's awesome. Well, Kyle, it's been such a pleasure honestly getting to know you. I know that uh, we've got similar friends and this is the first time we're actually having a chat, so it's uh, it's kind of neat to to learn a lot about your your path and your history. And I, I can't tell you how much I really appreciate you just taking the time to, and not for, uh, and for not saying no to me to actually come on the show and, and have this chat. So I really appreciate your time. I appreciate what you're doing with Forrest. Um, I'm glad I'm like member number 20,000 or whatever, but I got there as quick as I could. That's what we Texans say. Cause I'm not from Texas, but here in Texas, if you're not from Texas and you got here, the, the saying is I got here as quick as I could. And that's, that's what I did with Forrest. I like that. Well, listen, I really appreciate it, and I'm sorry it took so long to to catch up. I think it's been uh, it's been awesome, and uh, I'm definitely going to go get get filled in on the, the other stuff. I saw Andrews uh, saw Andrews on there. I saw a bunch of people that Ryan Carson was on there twice. Um, so oh, twice. Wow. Yeah, twice. So, uh, you know, it's still it still blows my mind that I have the privilege of you know being being able to be uh, up there with those guys in some fashion, even if it's just, you know, uh, a po- not not to say the podcast isn't awesome, but <laughs> it's just I can't believe that I'm being able to you know be in this position to share what I what what things that I've learned and you know it's it's great. So hopefully it's a value to to people and someone can come away from it learning a thing or two. Um, but yeah, it's been awesome. I really appreciate it. Uh, so just a last bit of closing. If uh, if people are trying to get get in touch with you, I know you got uh, Kyle.io is your is one of your domains. But where what's the best place if someone wants to re- reach out to you to say hello? How how should they best do it? Yeah, I mean probably Twitter is the best way. I uh, I've been trying to trying to stay on top of of that stuff a little bit. Um, so it's just at Kyle Bragger uh, or Kyle.io probably has a has a link and. Uh, email if if uh, there's something a little more long form. Very cool. All right, Kyle. Well, hey, again, thank you so much for joining me on Finders Talk, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks so much. I want to thank my sponsors once again, Less Accounting at lessaccounting.com and Flow at getflow.com. And most of all, thanks to you for listening to this show. Without you, it would not be possible. If you are interested in advertising on this show, you can hit us up at 5x5.tv slash advertise. Or you can email me directly, which is just as well, at adam at founderstalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.